us not because of works done in righteousness not because we met him halfway not because we took the proper steps forward and in good faith have elevated ourselves to the place of the deserving poor but according to his mercy we are here because jesus christ didn't say with cold indifference give them what they deserve they brought it on themselves jesus christ is the mercy of god and seeing us in our misery and need, he doesn't just feel for us. He takes the necessary action to relieve our distress. He leaves the eternal glory of heaven and the perfect fellowship of the Trinity. He condescends to us, lives among us, suffers like us, dies for us. Do you understand this? Have you experienced this? How then is it possible to experience it and not display it? morning guys hope you're doing well we're in our series called audacious prayers and i thought this spoken word was fitting because today's audacious prayer takes a lot of mercy and uh mercy is kind of like one of those things where you can't just if you don't have it or you know just say hey you just need to have mercy it's like you really need to go to that place with jesus and receive that and remember that what the mercy that you received to extend to others. And I think that'll be important for the length of this message. Um, but yeah, the series we're in is Audacious Prayers, and it's really, aside from our everyday walk with Jesus prayers that we love to pray in the morning when we're with Jesus every day, these are the prayers that kind of stick out in our lives that you might look back and remember and talk to your wife and kids about that you prayed this prayer. And all of us have those prayers that are kind of larger than life and um, that happen here and there in our life. Um, and today's is part two of last week. So if you're here last week, you know that today is um, praying for those that have hurt us. Like praying for those who have hurt us, praying for those that have wronged us. And if you are taking notes, you know, you can, there, we'll have notes up on the screen. If you want to take notes, there is journals on the rock for you that we provide for free. So you can take notes. And there's pens in some of the pew bottoms that you can grab as well. Sound good? So you can take notes along with this if you want to look at it later. Um, Praying for people that have hurt you is really hard to do. It's really hard to do. Like, how do you pray for somebody that you want to beat up? <laughs> how do you pray for somebody that you want to just get revenge against? How can you ask God to, do some, to bless a person that you can't even look at and you really just hope they die? It's hard. I mean... Maybe we've been there. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're struggling with that. Um, maybe there's just somebody that annoys you and still got to pray for them too, not just the people that we want revenge against. Um, so last week, real quick, the three points that we talked about, and I'll go through this quick, is forgiving uh, someone isn't saying that what they did was okay, 
Meaning that if you forgive somebody, you're not just saying, hey, that wrong thing you did is cool with me. It's not saying that. It doesn't release them of any responsibility. It's just saying in your heart, you're not going to hold that bitterness against them. And you're not going to let that offense define who you are. And it's not going to destroy your life any longer. Because that's what unforgiveness does. Unforgiveness destroys your life. And it really impacts you more than the person that you're holding back your forgiveness from. Um, and, and the second is knowing that forgive and forget is not even biblical, but it might not happen for you. You're supposed to hold no records of wrongs against people and not hold it against them, but the enemy might bring it up in your mind, and so you have to constantly bring that back to Jesus. And you might not forget, and it might be with you. Um, but we have to constantly give that back to Jesus, and that's okay. And number three, uh, you are to forgive not because you feel like it, but rather out of knowing that Jesus forgave you. So we forgive because we are forgiven. We show mercy because God gave us all the mercy we'll ever need. Amen? He gave us all the mercy. He's forgiven all of our sins, all of our transgressions, and he saved us from eternity of separation and covered our sins by the blood of Jesus. So... Um, and so I want to talk about this because unforgiveness is a huge source of problems in our lives, in our community, like in our neighbors here that maybe don't go to church, in, our, in the church life, in our marriages, in our parenting. Um, everybody struggles with this in some way. And unforgiveness is, is like a lot of the marriage counseling that I deal with, a lot of the sources are unforgiveness. We can't forgive our spouse or we can't forgive a hurt that has happened. Um, a lot of counseling that we deal with the people of trauma in their past is a lot of it's unforgiveness of somebody who's hurt us and abused us and helping work through that. So it's a very important topic that we want to spend extra time on. Um, so it's, so we're, this is about praying for people that have hurt you. Last week we talked about Jesus was on the cross and he prayed for people that were abusing him, right? Like he was praying for the people that were taking his clothes. He was praying for the people that were making fun of him and hurting him and slapping him. So this week is somebody else praying for those who is hurting him. And it's a story in Acts chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 7, verses 58 through 60. And this is a short account of the stoning of Stephen. Um, Stephen was a follower of Jesus, and he was stoned um, for his testimony. So it says this, um, after Stephen gave his testimony to the Sanhedrin, which was the religious leaders of the day, they were like the Pharisees, you know, and he had to give a testimony about he was following Jesus. So after he gave his testimony, they dragged Stephen out of the city. Then they started throwing stones at him. The men who had brought charges against him put their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So who is Saul? So yeah, Saul is Paul. And before the road to Damascus, when, Paul, when Saul was converted to Paul, um, and Jesus encountered him, he was the one that condoned the murdering of Christians. And then, as you know, Paul went on to write a good portion of the New Testament, um, write the books, because, you know, Paul's letters. And so if you had to stone somebody and brought charges against them, you had to throw your coat at the feet of this leader, so it was Saul, and then you grab a stone, and then you throw it at the person. And that's how they did stonings back then. And so Stephen was being stoned to death. Um, some people survive a stoning, and most people die. And so he was stoned. And it says in verse 59, As Stephen was being stoned to death, he called out, 
Lord Jesus, please welcome me, because he knew he was dying. So he looked up at heaven, and he said, please welcome me. And in verse 60, he knelt down and shouted with his last breath, Lord, don't blame them for what they have done. And then he died. Let's pray before we unpack this. Lord, your word is so good, and this story isn't good, and it's hard to, for us as Christians who have such a, such a protected life against persecution here in America to fathom what it's like to die for our faith and what it's like to be stoned for our faith. Um, so God, help us wrap our mind around that and have empathy for this man who died for you. Um, and God, he prayed for his, his people, like throwing stones at him and trying to kill him. He prayed just to you to not hold it against them. And a huge act of forgiveness and mercy. And God, help us have that same connection with you that can cause us to pray things like that and to utter prayers like that in our most distressed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I think I had a line, but I took it out of my sermon, but it was something along the lines of like, the offenses that we have endured, you know, he was being actually murdered in that moment, and he was able to go to that place of, God, don't hold this against them. And what offense have we had that maybe that's lesser than murder that we're like, I cannot pray that prayer. You know, like, like if Stephen can, can pray this as people are actually killing him, and with his final breath, he just says, God, please don't hold this against these people. Actually reach out to them. Like, we should be able to do the same thing. Don't blame them for what they're doing. Um, it's, a big, it's a big wow for us to, to say is like, how, how can this happen? It should hit us hard. Um, I don't know what was exactly going on in Stephen's mind, but I have an idea of how we sh- as a church should try to get there to really be in that constant walk with Jesus where we too can pray for those people who have hurt us and we could come to a place of forgiveness. And... Um, and how we get there as a church collectively. And so I have four points today, and really it's forgiveness comes out of answering these four questions, okay? Forgiveness comes out of answering um, these four questions. There might be more questions that maybe are out there, and I'm sure there is. The Bible and theology is deep and wide, but I have four for you this morning. Does that sound good? Um, The first question is this. Does God see our pain? Does God see our pain? Um, This is a very important question to ask when we are struggling with unforgiveness, when we are struggling with being sinned against, when we are struggling with being wronged, um, a lot of times we feel like, this happened to me, nobody is going to avenge me, nobody's going to come to my help, so I need to make this right. And usually that comes in a form of, bitterness or vengeance or revenge. And because we have somehow forgotten that the Lord sees everything that has happened to us. The Lord, when we die in his omniscience and omnipresence and all these good things and qualities of the Lord that's too high for us to even know, I believe we'll be able to ask God when we die, how many tears did I cry in my lifetime? And he'll be able to look at us and say, you know, 10,021. He'll know every tear that we cried, and we'll be like, whoa, 
He knows us so intimately. And he knows, like, whatever you're going through, whatever offense you have or wrong that you have in your life, God sees it, and he cares about it. God sees everything. Like, God sees everything. And he, you know, God feels your pain. The Bible says we do not have a God that cannot empathize with us, but we have a God that walked a mile in our shoes. Jesus has been wronged like you have been wronged. He's been hurt like you have been hurt. He knows what it feels like, and he could empathize for it, and his heart breaks for it, and he knows what's going on, and, and he's with you groaning for you and saying, man, my daughter, I'm so sorry that you are being hurt like this. I'm with you. I, I love you. My son, I'm sorry that you're feeling this. I love you. And it says in, in Proverbs 15.3, and it's not going to be up on the screens, but if you're taking notes, it's Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are are in every place, keeping watch on evil and the good. God sees every evil thing, and he sees every good thing. When it happens to you, A, you don't have to feel like you're alone, that God sees it all, and that should be a comfort to us as well, that we are not alone. So God sees it, and we just need to remind ourselves with this. The devil will make you feel like you are isolated, that this is your burden to bear, that you are all alone in this. Nobody sees it. Nobody cares. And if nobody here on earth cares, God cares. And he is the king of the universe. Amen? Like that should be the one that should bring you your peace is that if anybody else, God cares. And that's why it's important to be a part of a church family because we care, right? We love each other, right? That's why Ashley had us hug each other And that's why I have you guys get in groups. It's not to make you feel awkward. It's to make you guys act like a family. Because we are a family. Whether we're five people on a Sunday morning, we're 40, we're 500, we are a family. And we need to to be like that and be okay and be there for each other when we're in pain. Amen? Okay, side point. Number two, second question. Does God judge every offense? Does God judge every offense? Another thing that that we could be struggling with. Does God see it all, but does God judge every offense? Um, And there might be be a miscommunication being like, do people have to suffer earthly consequences for every bad thing that has happened? The answer to that is no. Like, first of all, like, if they're like, somebody does something bad, are they going to suffer for it here on earth? Not always. There's people that are guilty that walk free their whole lives that never have their day in court, Right? They never get punished. They walk free. But one thing that we can rest assured is that God sees everything and God judges everything. And there is a day, the Bible says, where we will stand before the throne of God. And really in the Bible, there speaks about, there's two throne judgments. And I believe I've taught on this before. But there's a throne judgment for Christians, which is called the Bema Seat Judgment. And then there's a a throne judgment for non-Christians called the great white throne judgment. One is for rewards, and that's for the Christians. And there's one for judgment of sin, and that's for all the people that their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. And so either way, we're all going to stand before the throne of God one day. And for people that struggle, or you that struggle with unforgiveness, that person who hurt you, even though they may not suffer any consequences here on earth, they have to stand before the Lord one day. 
They have to stand before outside of their body, in their soul, in heaven, stand before the king of the universe and give an account for their actions. And, you know, our heart still shouldn't be, good, I hope they go to hell. Like that, that shouldn't, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying judgment comes from God. Romans 12, 19 says, vengeance is mine. I will repay it, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not yours. So when you feel like revenge or you feel like getting even, God says, take a step back. This is my problem. Let me solve it. And you take a load off. Rest in my grace. Rest in who I am. I'm going to read a quote here. It's not on the screen either, but just follow along. It's from Scott Hubbard. Um, Most of you may not know who he is. He writes for this website called Desiring God. And he has this quote, and it says this, God's judgment frees us to let go of offenses. The very word judgment brings to mind our own offenses against God. Offenses that cried out for our blood until Jesus shed his own. It reminds us that our offender, if outside of Christ, deserves our pity. And if inside Christ, needs our brotherly love. It removes all self-righteousness from our mouths and replaces it with a Christ-like plea of, Lord, forgive them. And it beckons us to release our right to get even and to hand over our cause to him who judges justly. And so this offense you feel, or this, this thing that you're carrying around, whether it was by somebody in your past, which we'll talk about in a minute, maybe it was by somebody long ago in your past, maybe it was by somebody last week, maybe it's by your father and mother, maybe it's by your husband or your wife. It's saying when forgiveness happens, you literally hand that over to God. And let him judge who judges rightly. And we don't have to bear that burden. Because bearing unforgiveness produces bitterness in our hearts. And it produces poison in our souls. And it really destroys our lives. And so we are to hand that over. So your offender one day will have to pay for his or her sins. And I don't mean that to be cold. Either he will come to Jesus and the blood of Jesus will cover all their sins just like he did for you, and that should make you say, amen. Amen. I hope my offender gives their life to Jesus, and they receive forgiveness of their sins. And guess what? No matter the offense, the Bible promises that their sins can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And we should want that, and we should want to hope for that. Because why? Because all of our many sins, all of my sins, which are many, we're covered by the blood of Jesus. And I walk in freedom because of the blood. Amen? And same with you. You guys don't have to be guilty. And as hard as it may be, we have to come to the place where we pray that for our offender. And God forbid they die without accepting Jesus. They will have to stand before the judgment seat of God <clears throat> and realize that their name is not in the Lamb's book of life, as it says in Revelation. And they'll be punished for their sins. And that is something that we should not pray for against anybody. We should come to the place where we have mercy um, and pray for them. Just like the audacious prayer we're saying is, God, forgive them. God, help them come to you for repentance. And he's just to forgive them. So the answer is, God is just. God is just, meaning he doesn't let sin ever go unpunished. 
Uh, number three, can you obey Jesus? Can you obey Jesus? Um, you got to answer all these questions. You really got to answer this one because Jesus said, you must forgive. It's not an option. It's not something that Christians should do if they feel like it. It's saying that, hey, if you are a Christian, you must forgive. It's not an option. And so Jesus commanded to forgive others. We have to do it. And the last one is, is can you love everyone? Can you love everyone? Now, you might be seeing this and like, well, I literally can't love everybody. I don't really have the capacity to, like, even love everybody at Jericho Road Church. I mean, <laughs> like, there's only, like, what, 10 people in each missional community or so. Um, there might be 100 people here on Sunday morning. Like, there's no time to love everybody in, in here or our communities. You know, I don't mean individually love everybody. But everybody that God puts in your life, whether they are a, an awesome person or not so nice of a person, whether they love you and bless you, or whether they hate you and curse you and they're out to get you, you are called to love that person. And can you? If you're saying, I cannot love this person in my life, I'll tell you that right now. The Bible says we must love everybody, especially our enemies. And we talked about that last week. Loving those who curse us, blessing those who persecute us. So we are not, it's, that's not an option. And so can we, you love any, everyone? We are called to love everyone, even our enemies. And so that's, this is hard to do. And I, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying there's going to be a light switch. And again, I'm not saying that you're even going to feel like it. Like that's not the point. And really your feelings might be getting in the way of you obeying God. And we, that's why we said we need to recognize that and put our feelings to the side and saying, I just need to love people. I need to love people. I need to love people who love me, which is the American way, right? I'll love everybody who loves me, and everybody who's nice to me, I'll be nice to. But if you don't love me, you don't care about me, forget you. Take a hike. You know, I don't need this negativity in my life. Um, the Bible says we're supposed to love people. We're supposed to love people and show love. So um, 1 Peter 4, 8, about like, Forgiving sins is, is, above all, love each other deeply. Everybody, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins, meaning that the sins, that not only the love of God covers a multitude of sins, but the love that we have for each other co covers a multitude of sins that happen within the church. So there's no way that we should be holding grudges in our marriages or in our church family or in our MCs or anything like that. We should love each other, and that should cover a multitude of sins. And so I want to talk, unpack for one second, uh, loving our enemies. Um, and there's this famous verse that maybe you guys said at your weddings. It's 1 Corinthians 13. It's a famous love verse, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Um, and I want to read this because as Christians, if we don't get love right, we have lost before we started. Like if we don't get loving people right, it's not going to work out. So everything we do needs to be under the umbrella of loving our neighbors and loving our enemies. And so it really is like the answer to every question. It's really the answer to every question. You know, like everything. Like you can confront somebody with love, right? Like, and if it's done with love, it's beautiful. I could be mad at you. I could be mad at my neighbor for letting his dog poop in my yard. And I could love him and tell him, 
in a, in a manner of love, where it's not like degrading or dishonoring, but it's informative and with love. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everything can be done under this banner of love. And where we get ourselves in trouble and where conflict goes out of turn is when we throw love out of the window. And we don't treat people like children of God. We treat people like robots or we treat people like animals or we treat people like they don't have a soul and they're not a child of God. That's where we get into trouble. The Bible says we need to treat people like a daughter of God or a son of God. And if we could do that, we'll be okay. Our church will be okay. We'll be okay. So this is some, some things about love that it's good to write these down. This is only part but it's good to write these down and reflect on these and meditate on these in your devotions and maybe write them and put them in your car. But it shows you how to love. Like, these are ways to love. Be, love is patient. Love is kind. You know, like, I think over the last year, many of us forgot what kindness is. It's being nice. It's smiling and, and just, just being nice. Not being a butthead. Right? I think we could all not be a butthead. Now sometimes our flesh takes over and we act like buttheads. Then we say we're sorry out of love. But it says love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It's important. It is not self-seeking, but it's looking out for others. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And so we're called to do this with not only people in the church and people that we are close to and our families and our husbands and our wives and our children, but we are called to do this with even the people that have offended us and hurt us and our enemies. And so can we be patient with our enemies? Can you guys, the people that... Are, you are just so angry with, can you ask God for patience? Can you be kind to your enemies? Like, not fake kindness, like where I'm going to try to be nice to you and it's really snarky and I hope you get the picture that I really don't like you and you leave. <laughs> I'm talking about, like, real kindness. Like, just being nice to them. And here's another one. Have you dishonored your enemies? Like, have you dishonored your enemies? And when I think of, like, dishonor is, like, I always think I want to honor my mom and dad, right? Like, I, I always want to honor my mom and dad, even though, like, they're, I'm not in their house anymore. I want to show them honor. And, you know, my mom and dad watch the sermons, right? <laughs> my mom, like, calls me, and she's like, hey, I liked your sermon, or you say this. And I share stories in here about their divorce. I share stories about my childhood. And I never want to say anything in here that dishonors my mom and dad, Right? Like, if I share with you something, like, that's personal that might dishonor them, I'll ask their permission first. Does that make sense? Because I want to honor my mom and dad because that's the right thing to do. I also want to honor you guys. I want to honor you guys. I'm not going to share a story about you. I'm not going to make you look bad behind your back. I probably have done that, and I probably repented of that with some of you, and I'm sorry. But my heart... I'm trying never to talk behind your backs, to make you look bad behind your back. And we have to do the same thing with our enemies, which makes it even harder. And so at work, at school, are you able to honor your enemies? 
and not gossip about them, not put them down, but actually honor them. That's very hard to do. But with Jesus, we can do it. Amen? With our walk with Jesus, we can do it. And nobody might see it. Nobody might see it. And nobody might say, hey, good job. I know you had this bullet to fire at them, you know, with your tongue, and you didn't. Nobody's going to say that. But God sees it. And God knows that you honored them and you obeyed him. So we have to love our enemies. We can't do it on our own. We need Jesus' help for that. So I shared that God sees our pain. God will judge every offense. And that um, we need to love our enemies. We need to obey God. Um, And so I want to break down two practical things. And is this, and this comes up a lot, is like, there's really like two types of people that we might need to forgive in our lives. The first one is, how do we forgive somebody that's out of our life? Like, maybe they're dead. Um, Maybe there's just no way to communicate with them. Maybe they're just not in your life anymore. They live in Arizona, all right? You have no way to communicate with them. And really, you don't want to get back in their life, and you don't feel like God's asking you to do that. For that person, or maybe they're deceased, um, you can pray this prayer. And it's, God, I forgive that person who hurt me or abused me. I pray that they repent if they're still alive. If they're still alive, I pray that they repent and they come to you for forgiveness. And we can pray that prayer and just ask God, like, God, I forgive them. And, um, and, and once we pray that and ask God to, that, that, to come into their life and to make himself known to them, after that, as I said, you might not forget, but whenever Satan brings up that hurt to you, because the enemy will bring up that hurt to you over and over again. You might try to walk away from it. You might try to be done with it. But Satan will bring it up in your mind. Just say, I have forgiven that person. Say it out loud. Like Ashley said, there's power in our words. And so when we're tempted to dwell on a sin or a past offense, and Satan tempts us with that, you could say, I've forgiven that person. Get behind me, Satan. You know, you're driving down the car. Get behind me, Satan. I've forgiven this person. I'm not going to hold this offense any longer. And we literally have to practice saying that out loud for a while. Right? I mean, this is good to do. Because when those thoughts come in our mind, the Bible says, hold every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You have to take those thoughts and say, I'm not going to hold that against them. I've actually forgiven them. And it was an important day for me. And I'm not going to relive this hurt. And it's done. It's okay. So, that's forgiving somebody who's out of your life. The much harder one is, not much harder, but couldn't be as hard, is forgiving somebody in your life. Forgiving somebody in your life. How do you forgive somebody that you share a house with? And that the problem is still going on? Or that you just can't forgive? And you guys share the same bed, maybe. I don't know. Like, you just, you, you, you got to work past this, but there's unforgiveness there. Like, how do we do that? The first thing is, if they ask for forgiveness, you must forgive them. Like, that's a command. Like, we're not, it's not an option. You must forgive them. And what I do um, with my kids, and this is a good practice for parents, I, and somebody told me this, is when my kids are fighting with each other, like, you know, I got three boys, they're always fighting with each other. Um, ever since they were really little, I make one of them that, was offend, that did the offense to say sorry, obviously. Like, Hey, Logan, say you're sorry to Tyler. I'm sorry, Tyler. I threw the dinosaur and it hit you in the eye. And 
it's like, okay, Tyler, what do you have to say? Tyler says, I forgive you, Logan. And then they go their separate ways. We do it out of habit. And now they're old enough where we don't make them say it. We just said, you, when you're ready to forgive, you need to forgive them. And they actually need to say the words, I forgive you, Jonathan. I forgive you, Tyler. And we make them say that. And so it's, hey, I'm sorry I did this. And I forgive you. And with me and my wife, we make it a habit to actually say the words, I forgive you. You know, because it's like I'm releasing that offense. I'm releasing it, you know. And my wife and I fight like everybody else. You know, we have our arguments. We call it intense fellowship, and it happens every couple of months, you know. But we have our dust-ups once in a blue moon. And anybody who's married that doesn't is lying. No, I'm just kidding. Um, maybe there's some couples that never fight or never have. Um, but uh, when we say things that we, don't, that we feel like was out of bounds, I'll say, Nicole, I said that. I was angry, and I shouldn't have said that. Do you forgive me? And she's like, yeah, I forgive you. It's fine. I know it was a heated argument. I shouldn't have said this. And I say, I forgive you. And then we have a breather, and then we go about our day. You know what I mean? Like, it's important to say, I forgive you, to people that have hurt us and in our marriages, to make sure we say, I forgive you. And actually hear the words, yes, I forgive you. And when we say that, we are committing to never bringing that up again. Right? Because I said I'm, I said I'm sorry. I said, and you forgave me, so why are you bringing this up two months later? You obviously didn't forgive me. Do we need to talk about this? And then we'll talk about it, <laughs> and then she'll forgive me, and then it's good. You know, we'll move on. But I'm saying, like, this, this piece is very important, and, and I hope it blesses you guys. Um, the disciples asked Jesus, how many times are we supposed to forgive somebody? They, they sinned against me once, I forgave them, you know, twice. Because I heard somebody say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And what did Jesus say? Seventy times seven. Like, just, you always, if somebody asks for forgiveness, we're supposed to forgive over and over again. Like, it doesn't mean keep track um, to that is done. Because some of y'all have been married 50 years, might be close to that 70 times seven limit. <laughs> Jesus, they got two more offenses and I'm done. Um, but he's just saying, like, it's not something. It's not this seven times. So we release them. And so I covered those. What about the people in our lives who don't ask us for forgiveness? And they don't really care if you forgive them. They don't even say they're sorry. You get what I'm saying? What about the people who have offended us? Maybe they're an enemy of ours, or maybe they're somebody we don't like. Or What if they don't ask for forgiveness? Are we obligated to forgive them? I'd say yes. I'd say yes. As we said, if, we for, if we've received this love and forgiveness, did we ask Jesus to come and die on the cross? No, he did it, and yet we were still sinners. When we were still dark in our understanding, he died for us. And so if somebody doesn't ask us for forgiveness, but we know we need to forgive them, we can forgive them. We can have a conversation, and they could give us double middle fingers, but we still have to say, before the Lord, I forgive you. And your double middle fingers. I forgive both of those things. And they might say, I don't care. I don't need it. And you'll say, that's fine. But I don't follow you. I follow God. And he's my king, not you. 
Did the people stoning Stephen ask him for forgiveness while they were stoning him? Did they say they're sorry? No. And he forgave them. And he asked God to forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. We must show mercy to everybody. It's not easy. It's a process. But I want us all to be at the place where not only we could forgive those who offended us, we could actually pray for those people who've offended us, and then we could be free. Let me pray. God, I love you so much, and you are such a good father. God, some of these things are not easy, and they're hard. And uh, that's why your word says you are the vine and we are the branches. If we stay close to you, we'll be okay. If we, if we separate ourselves from you, we'll die out. So God, help us stay close to you, Lord. Help us cling to you like, like we're in the middle of a hurricane and you're a palm tree and we're just hanging on for dear life. Help us cling to you when times get like that. And when we don't know what to do, help us just go to our knees and just ask you and cry to you and, and just come to you. God, I pray that we could release every offense that has been done to us. And the people in our lives who maybe are our enemies or maybe not the most desirable people or maybe not the most lovable people, I pray that we could love them like you love us. Because we're not always desirable, Lord. We're not the most, you know, easy to get along with people. But you love us and you care deeply about us. So help us do that for others. And help us release people with forgiveness. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,